0: The older I get, but I do recall the first time I met Brian. I, I remember seeing this good-looking guy walking across the football field at FCA campus. Says, "Man, that is a that is a studly-looking guy. If I was a white guy, I want to <laughs> look like that." <laughs> I mean, he he was a sharp-looking young man, and uh, I met his wife uh, before he met his wife. And man, I tell you, God knows how to put them together, doesn't He? It's a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord. It's a pleasure to be with God's people, and. I hope that uh, the Word of God would be an encouragement to you today, if necessary. But I also hope that the Word of God would be a rebuke to you today, if necessary. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, or John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I want to talk to you from a very familiar passage of Scripture, and I trust that God will speak to your hearts. Now, Brian told me, he said, Ken, you can preach as long as you want to. He said, just turn off the lights when you get finished. (laughs) So if you got to leave, you just go ahead. But I'm going to finish my assignment. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is done unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of your word. We pray your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the most difficult things about our culture is we are a culture that cannot wait. We get frustrated when someone asks us to wait. Try going to DMV. Try going to the post office. We all get agitated and frustrated when it comes to waiting. When I was a boy, I remember as a kid, we had a TV set. You turn the TV set on. A little black dot would come on. And you wait. You didn't get upset because you were in a culture that knew how to wait. See, these young people, they're like, what is he talking about? But a dot would come on your TV set and stay there for about three or four minutes, and then pop, a picture would come on. And we only had three channels. Three channels. There was no channel hopping. You just grab one and you stay there. But you are learning how to wait. In our culture today, everything is fast. Fast food, internet, everything is fast. Knowledge is moving quickly. And because of it, I'm wondering if this whole idea is impacting our prayer life. I'll be coming now before the Lord and almost demanding of God, Lord, you move when I ask you to move. You do what I tell you to do, because we've lost our quality of waiting. And waiting is a tremendous virtue for the Christian, because it's doing the waiting that we get to understand God. It's doing the waiting we get to understand ourselves. So if you're the kind of person like me who's agitated when you have to stand in line, I trust this morning the word of God will speak to you. When it comes to our prayer life, the Bible assures us that we have a God who does answer prayer. He's a God, Peter says, his ears are into our prayers. What a tremendous blessing that we can know that we can get on our knees and we can pray. And the God of the universe, the God who created us, he hears us. You try to get Barack Obama on the telephone and see what happens. You're going to hold for a long time, but you can speak and God will hear you. And the Bible says to us there are many examples of people in Scripture who prayed and God heard and God moved. The Scripture says that the men of God began to pray. Elijah prayed and the rain stopped for three and a half years he prayed. Hannah prayed and the Bible says God made her womb fruitful because she prayed. Because when people of God begin to pray, God begins to move. Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. The Bible says that the church began to pray, and Peter was delivered from prison. Paul and Silas began to pray, and the earth began to quake. And the Bible says this man, this God, was about to kill himself because God was moving in answer to the prayers of his people. He's a God who answers prayer. But the Bible also says for us, he gives a promise to us in our generation. Sometimes we pick up the Bible and we look back at people and we see what God did in their heart and in their life and we say, I wonder if God can do that now. Does God still answer prayer? Does God still move? Yes, he does. And the scripture promises us that the effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Much. Jesus says, you keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You keep on knocking because our Father answers prayer. Don't ever be in doubt of that. God does answer prayer. But the Bible does give us conditions concerning prayer. And sometimes I think, you know, we run in before the Lord and we make our demands before him. And sometimes we forget that God has some conditions when we pray. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be given. There needs to be an abiding in the Lord, an abiding in his word, The Bible says, whosoever turns his ear from listening or hearing or obeying the word of God, even his prayer shall be an abomination. When I come before the Lord, walking in absolute or deliberate disobedience to his word, God says, even your prayer is an abomination to me. Respond to the word of God. If the word of God is speaking to your heart at any point in your life, you respond to the word of God. The Bible says we should be praying according to his will. If we ask anything according to his will, we have this certainty that he hears us. See, the big issue in prayer is not Ken Watson's will. The big issue in prayer is for Ken Watson to find out God's will and get in line with it. And John says, you can be assured that when you do that, God hears your prayer. James says, understand, you must always understand your motive when you pray. James says that some of us, we pray to heap lust upon our own selves to meet our own needs, to gratify ourselves, we become the number one agenda. The Bible says that we should be fruitful before we go to the Lord. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. (laughs) You didn't choose me. I chose you and I sent you to have ministry and I sent you to be fruitful, that your future remain and that God the Father may answer your prayers. If you are a praying person, You've got God's attention. But when you talk about the promises of God and the movement of God through prayer, there is no promise that says that God has to answer that prayer in a certain time frame. I don't know if it happened here, but back in South Carolina, do you have Domino's pizza? (laughs) Domino's made a claim. You order a pizza from us, and we'll get it to you within an hour. If we don't, you get your pizza free. They stopped it because so many delivery boards were wrecking their cars, trying to get the pizza to your house. They gave up that promise. Well, God is not dominoes. God doesn't say to you, if you pray to me, I'm going to answer that prayer in one hour. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that we are in need of patience, that after we have obeyed the will of God, we might receive his promises. God requires of his people to be patient, patient. You know, having six children... There was a phrase, we always hear it. I know if you have had a child, you've heard this phrase. Are we there yet? (laughs) No! (laughs) When we get there, I'll let you know. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Impatient. Children can be impatient, but so can the people of God. We can be impatient waiting for the Lord. So I want to ask the question, what happens when God makes us wait? What happens when God makes us wait? Sometimes your wife may make you wait. I don't know what they're doing in there all that time, but they can make you wait. Sometimes your children can make you wait, and you may get frustrated. But what happens when God makes you wait? How do you respond? We go back to the passage of Scripture. We have the circumstance before us. It's a circumstance of prayer here in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have this man named Lazarus. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they're very much concerned. They're concerned because their brother is sick. Not only are they concerned that he's sick, they're concerned about the fact that Jesus is not there with them. And so this person, Lazarus, is in need of healing. And I want you to notice in the passage of Scripture, the Bible says the one that Jesus loved was sick. In other words... The condition of Lazarus did not negate the fact that Jesus loved him. The condition of Lazarus was not inconsistent with the fact that Jesus loved him. Oftentimes in our lives when things become difficult, any kind of pain, any kind of problem, we begin to question, does Jesus really love me? I was in Big Stone Stone Gap, Virginia several years ago. It's a coal mining town, and I went to preach at a friend's church. He says, one of my best men has stopped coming to church. I said, why? He said, the mind closed down. He's hardened his heart against God. I said, give me his address. I want to go and talk to him. I want to share with him the word of God and encourage him that just because the mind had closed up, God had not closed up. That God could still bless him and God could still use him and God wanted him in the local church. Well, that night he came back to church. Even in my own congregation, one of of my best elders, he lost his job. And I was talking to him one day. He says, Pastor Ken, I don't know if God really loves me. And I said to him, are you kidding? The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That includes you. He loves you. The Bible says that he demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. John says, here in his love... Not that you love God, but he loved you. He loves you. Look at the cross. He loves you. It's subtle. Don't ever question that. The cross tells you he loves you. And apostle Paul says there's nothing that can separate you from that love. Nail it home strong. He loves you. But he's sick. Even if you're sick, he loves you. Unemployed, he loves you. He just loves you. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on his refrigerator. He loves you. But well, look at verse 3. In verse 3, we have the prayer of these two women. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. That's their prayer. Given that prayer, there's an expectation. The expectation is that Jesus would come. That's their expectation. Why would you send a message to Jesus not expecting him to respond? And the implication is, They are expecting Jesus to do it immediately. Lord, the one that you love is sick. That's their prayer, simple, not long, but the message is clear. They are in need of Jesus for healing and they come to Jesus, they know exactly where to go. And one of the problems of today's church is we go everywhere sometimes but to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. He has the answer to your problems. They knew where to go. But as we go on in the passage in verse 6, we see the response of Jesus. The response of Jesus was not what was anticipated by Mary and Martha, I'm sure, and it's certainly not what I would have anticipated, knowing that Jesus received word that the one that he loved was sick. So look at verse 6. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. I don't know how he got the message. He got the message and he said, hmm, okay, thanks. And he decided to stay there for two days. He didn't go anywhere. He said exactly where he was. It seems that the prayers of Mary and Martha did not move the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had several options. Number one, Receiving that message, Jesus could have caught the five o'clock camel out of there. Could have went down to the station, got on that camel, boom, he was there. But he didn't do that. He stayed where he was. He had a second option. Jesus could have spoken the word. The centurion came to Jesus one day and said, look, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Just speak the word and my servant shall be healed. All Jesus had to do was just speak the word, but he didn't do that. He just hung around for two more days. He had a third option. The Bible says on one occasion, he sent his disciples across the lake. As they were going across the lake, rowing, a tremendous storm came, and they were not gaining any advantage over the storm. Jesus looks out, and he sees them, and Jesus starts to walk on the water. I don't know how he did it, but I imagine he had a cool walk. They are terrified in the boat, and they see Jesus. They invite him in, and the scripture says immediately they were at shore. Jesus could transcend time and space. He could have just thought it and be on Lazarus' front porch. But he did not do that. His response was to remain where he was for two days. So why is it that Jesus required of Mary and Martha to wait And by implication, you've got to ask the question, why will he be requiring of you to wait? I think we have some some insights from the passage of Scripture that's before us. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4, Jesus comes out and he tells us why he is waiting. When Jesus heard this, he says, "This sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified. The first reason... Jesus says, I'm waiting, is that I want to put the glory of God on display. I want to put the glory of God on display. His primary desire, God's primary desire is not your relief. God's primary interest is not your comfort. God's primary desire is his glory. God's primary desire is his glory. That does not mean that everything is that working together for the good to those who love him. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is ultimately it's all about him and not about you. And so Jesus says, I want the father to receive glory. I want the son to receive glory. That's why I'm remaining where I am. So you may be waiting as you're waiting. Keep reminding yourself this is all about his glory, not mine. It's not about my convenience. It's about his glory. In John chapter 9, there was a man who was born, he was born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Who sinned? Jesus said, no one sinned. This has happened to him that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So it's all about the glory of God, and Jesus is worthy of our glory. He's worthy of our praise. He says, I understand the end of this situation. The end of this situation is not death. Whatever you're going through, he knows the end. You don't, you don't chapter one, girl. There's a whole book. I know the end. But number two, he would say to us, I know the purpose. And the ultimate purpose is the glory of God. So when you are waiting, let me encourage you. The Bible says that everything give thanks. Though you don't understand what's taking place, you give him Praise. The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. When I'm unemployed, when I'm sick, when I'm healthy, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. When my girlfriend break up with me, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise should continually be in my mouth because I'm concerned about the glory of God. So, number one, the glory of God. Look at verse 7. Jesus reveals to us a second benefit of why he was waiting when they asked him to come. Then after that, he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought are to stone you, and goest thou thither? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he, uh, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he's doing well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his, of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of him taking a rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Why was Jesus requiring them to wait? He was requiring them to wait because it was going to be of benefit to others. He said to his disciples, I am glad I'm not there for your benefit that you might believe. Would you dare to understand that perhaps you're going through something not only for you but for somebody else? Several years ago, my mother became deathly ill. And there was a threat in our family that she would go home to be with the Lord. But my father was not a believer. It was during that time that my father asked some very important questions, some spiritual questions, because he was confronted with the fact he might lose his wife. And he would ask my mother about Jesus and ask my mother about the word of God, ask my mother about heaven. And she shared with him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and led her husband to Christ. After she got well, she said to me, it was worth it. It was worth being sick. If being sick could bring my husband to Christ, it was worth it. Whatever you're going through, someone else can benefit from your experience as they watch you in your lion's den. As they watch you in your fiery furnace, they can benefit because the way you are responding says much about your view of God. Several years ago, I used to work in a juvenile detention center, and my name is Ken Watson. There was another guy there. His name was Ken Watkins. There's a difference. But apparently the secretary didn't know the difference. I went to pick up my paycheck, and she said, I gave you your paycheck. I said, no, you didn't. She said, I I gave you your paycheck. I said, I'm telling you, I'm serious. I don't joke about money. You didn't give me my paycheck. And she got kind of huffy. And she got up and went to her file cabinet, pulled out. Her files, and she turned, and she said, oh, my goodness, I gave your check to Ken Watkins. I called Ken Watkins. He had gone to his bank, and they cashed my check. <laughs> Can you believe that? I did not know there was a coworker standing there watching me in the midst of all of this. So I said to the secretary, well, whatever you got to do, just do it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I went down my hall on the wing that I was working on. This guy came behind me and he said, "Ken, you've got to be a Christian. You've got to be saved. So why would you say that? She messed up your money and you didn't get angry? That became the door for me to share the gospel with him. If he had watched me cursing her out, getting angry with her, the opportunity would not have existed. Whatever you're going through is not just for you. The disciples will be benefiting from this because they will understand who Jesus really is. And so we have the third reason, perhaps, that the Lord Jesus Christ began to wait. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Now Bethany was near unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Why did Jesus wait? Let me suggest to you that Jesus waited because he wanted to increase the faith of Mary and Martha. When her sister comes, she says the exact same thing that Martha said. She comes up and falls at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was some tremendous faith. They actually believed that if Jesus had gotten there in time, Lazarus would still be with them. But Jesus wants to move them past that kind of faith. Their faith was, if you had been here, my brother would not have died faith. That's pretty good faith. Jesus wants to give them, "My brother is dead, you can raise him faith." Now that's something there. He wants to move them in their process of faith to give them more faith. And would you dare to believe that even now I can raise him from the dead? Sometimes we get to our low points. Sometimes we get to a point where we think even God can't come and rescue us. Do you know what God is maybe doing in your life while you're waiting? He's building your faith. And I would encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time in your life, you make sure you don't put your Bible down. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If Satan can get you to put your Bible down, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So Jesus wants to increase their faith. He wants them to believe in him more and more and more. Do you believe in him more today than you did before? That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ would have for them. There are many things that he wants to do in our life as he causes us to wait. You know, the scripture says that he wants to give us a ministry. The Bible says he comforts us in all of our trials, all of our tribulations. You know why? That we might comfort others. It's possible he's holding back because he wants to give you a ministry. A dear lady in our church, husband just left her. And I watched her as she went through this. And I said to her, Spend time in your word, pick up an ink pen, and just write. Write your pain, write everything that's going on, just write. And she did that. Now she has a ministry to women in our church and women across our city for men who left their wives. And most of the men are men who are church leaders. She has a ministry now. Would she want to go that path? No. But having gone that way, she sees that God gave her a tremendous ministry in the body of Christ. God may be wanting to mature you. Peter says, after you have suffered a while, may God establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. He wants to give you a chance to prove that your faith is genuine. Wherein now you greatly rejoice, though need be, you're in heaven through manifold temptations. that The trying of your faith. The trying of your faith may be to the glory and honor of the Lord at his appearing. You see, it's one thing to talk about I love Jesus. It's one thing to say that I trust Jesus. But he's going to give you in our experiences where we can live that out to prove that our faith is genuine. He knows what he's doing. He's purifying us. I don't know about you. Several years ago, I was in the hospital. And uh, this is my seminary days. I had heart problems, pains in my chest. I was falling out, man, you name it. I would go to class, get dizzy, fall. And folks were praying for me and praying for me, and they took me to the hospital, brought me back, took me back, brought me back, took me back, brought me back. Finally, I told them, I'm not coming back. If I come back again, I'll be in a body bag. Don't even come get me. I was just (laughs) through with it. But something happened in my life. When I was in the hospital, I didn't think about the Cosby show. I didn't think about NFL football. I didn't think about uh, car payments. The only thing I thought thought about was my relationship with God and my family. And I started confessing anything that I thought was sin in my life. If I didn't do it, I was going to confess it to make sure everything was covered. (laughs) Suffering has a purifying effect in your life. It causes you to focus on that which is real, that which is the most important thing in life. So whatever you're going through, understand something. He does have a plan. You may not know it but he has a plan. And when you don't know what God is doing, trust the character of God. He will never do anything contrary to his character. Verse 23, Jesus is talking to Martha and he gives to us another understanding of what may be happening when he asks us to wait. Verse 23, as he's talking to her, Jesus says to her, um, well, let me say unto her, your brother shall rise again. Boy, that's hopeful. Martha said unto him, I know he'll rise in the last day, in the resurrection the last, last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Folks, this is an important passage of Scripture. You see, Jesus allowed something to happen in their life that he might come and reveal himself in a new and refreshing way to Mary and Martha. Martha had the theology down pat. I know my brother shall rise at the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus says, understand something. The resurrection is not some event. It's a person. I am the resurrection. What is the Lord doing in your life? Perhaps he's setting up a situation where he can step in so you can get to know him in a new and refreshing way. Why did you lose your job? Maybe he wants to teach you that he is your provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. Why am I going through this physical pain? Maybe he wants to show you he can be your healer. Why am I going through this? He wants to show you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know Jesus better now than you did before? Many, many years ago, 36 years ago, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I'm about to get married. What do you think? He says, do you love her? I said, yeah, I love her. He said, I don't care who you marry. You can marry a monkey as far as I'm concerned. That was his answer. Did that sound spiritual? And then he said, Does it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. So I said, I know her. I know her, Dad. Then we got married, and um, we set up our home, and I went to the refrigerator, and was this much juice in the bottle, bottom of the juice bottle. Thought I knew her. (laughs) I went to the bathroom and I found out that she did not squeeze from the bottom. No, No. she squeezed from the top. She never told me that during our dating time, you are a top squeezer. (laughs) Didn't know that. It began to dawn on me. I knew her, but I didn't know her. You see, I knew her. But now I know her more and more. I knew Jesus Christ at 15 years of age, but now I'm 58 years old, and I know him better and better and better and better in a more intimate way. He is setting up for you a chance to get to know him in a very unique way. He is not wasting circumstances on you. And so Mary and Martha knew about the resurrection. They now understood Jesus Christ to be the resurrection. They knew he was the Christ, but now they know he is the resurrection person. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about a man is what he believes about God. The most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. You get that question of Jesus wrong, you got a messed up life. And so he does that so they can have a more intimate, intimate understanding of who he was. Wow. This revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, is what we all long for, to get to know him better and better and better. Verse 38, in verse 38 to verse uh, 44, the Bible says, When Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Four days. that Jesus stayed away for two days. So apparently, sometimes shortly after he received the word, Lazarus died. For four days. But Lazarus now was not only physically dead, but Lazarus was now culturally dead. Because the Jews believed that once a person died, that your soul would hang around the tomb for a while up to the third day. So Jesus makes sure, okay, all right, fourth day, okay. Now, no one can say that the man was not dead. He was sure enough dead. Now, Jesus says, I want you to move away the stone. Take the stone away. The sister of Lazarus said, Lord, by now he stinks. Maybe your situation is stinky right now. Maybe your marriage is stinky right now. Maybe your job is stinky right now. Whatever your situation may be, but he who is a the resurrection can breathe life into your stinkiness. He's He's not deterred about what's about to take place. And so the scripture says, they roll away this great stone. And Jesus calls out loudly, Lazarus, come forth. Let me tell you why I think Jesus waited and didn't respond. Jesus waited because he wanted to do a greater work than what they anticipated. All they wanted was for their brother to be healed. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to let him die and raise him from the dead. The Bible says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly of all that we could ever ask or think. You praying for this and he wants to give you this. You praying for a Pinto, he wants to give you a Lexus. Got an amen on that one. (laughs) But sometimes he has to let things deteriorate a little bit more because in doing so, he can do a greater job. I want to close with this last verse. Verse 53. Verse 53. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. Well, who took counsel to put him to death? The Jewish leaders. Why did they do it? Because when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what was he doing? He was setting up the next stage of God's redemptive program. He knew what he was doing. He was forcing their hand. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says many Jews believed, some did not believe, but they went back to the Jewish leadership and they began to complain. And the Jewish leadership decided, we have to get rid of Jesus. It is fitting for one man to die for the nation. Well, that wasn't an accident. Jesus moved on God's timetable, not men's timetable. You see, you don't know what God wants to do. You don't know what God wants to take you. I was asking Brother Brian, how did you get down to Texas? There was a gap. There's nothing wrong with Texas. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> then it come out right. How did you get to Texas? I don't, want, I don't want to come down here and insult people. Don't you ever bring that man back again. But he began to give me a series of things that happened that brought him to Texas. If you had said to him 18 years ago, you're going to live in Texas and pastor a church, he would say, what are you talking about? God has a stage. In every stage, he opens up more and more opportunities, more and more doors to direct his children where he wants them to be, The program is to the glory of God. Jesus raises up Lazarus. That is a tool to get him to the cross. That's a tool to get him to the cross. When I was a boy, the old folks in the church used to sing a song that reminds me of this passage. They would say, you can't hurry God. You just got to wait. You got to trust and give him time no matter how long it takes. He's a God that you can't hurry. He'll be there. Just don't worry. He may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. Mary and Martha could give that testimony. He did not come when we wanted him, but I'm here to tell you he's right on time. Whenever he shows up, he's going to be on time. The Bible encourages us, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait. Hey, Mr. Christian, wait. Be patient. But the meaning of the word is deeper than that. That word weight means to wrap yourself or to twist yourself. It means to wrap yourself around something stronger. You see, this morning, if I were talking to this beautiful young lady here, see, you're beautiful. You didn't know that, did you? I'm here to tell you, okay? If I gave you a piece of thread, could you pop it? I'd say yeah. <laughs> it's thread, okay? <laughs> you could pop it. You could, right? If I took that same piece of thread and wrapped it around a steel cable, And I said, break it. Could you break it? No. You're messing up my sermon. No, she couldn't break it. (laughs) She couldn't break it. And she couldn't break it because that weak piece of thread is wrapped around a steel cable, thereby being supported by its strength. What the Lord is saying to us, wait on the Lord. Wrap yourself. Twist yourself around God because his strength becomes your strength. Waiting isn't to be idle. Waiting is a period to get to know God better and better and better and better and understand all things are for his glory. Wherever you are, just wait. Wait patiently, wait in faith, wait expectantly, and the God that we serve will answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. What a lesson we need to learn about waiting. Forgive us for, Lord, trying to force your hand and forgive us for thinking that it's all about us. It is not. It's all about your glory. So in the midst of a difficult time, maybe someone is going through a difficult time on their job, in their home, in the community. Maybe there's some legal issues. Maybe there are relationship issues. Lord, I pray they would align themselves up with you, that you may receive the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.